God really met me and spoke to me on this hunting trip, and surprisingly, it was on the way home. We ended up coming back late uh, Tuesday night because we'd filled our, our tags, and we're like, man, it'd be better to sleep in our own beds than out here in, in the mountains. And it was about 11 o'clock, and we were coming in uh, to Denver, just over Lookout uh, Mountain on I-70 coming east. And while I was up in the mountains, I just was kind of wrestling and thinking. We were about six miles from Meeker and had gone into to Meeker. And I was like, man, this is a really nice uh, small town. I grew up in a small town in, in Oregon and just feel more comfortable in small towns. And we went into this little hamburger shop to, to get a hamburger. And there wasn't one person in the hamburger shop that wasn't wearing Hunter Orange. And I just felt uh, right at home. And at the cash register, there was a sign that said, you're entering God's country. You know, we're, we're pro-God, pro-His word, pro-family, pro-guns. And I'm like, well, yeah, you know, like this. So I was like, should I move to Meeker? That's what I was thinking while I was, was, was up there. And I think most pastors kind of struggle with wanting to step away from their calling. I know I do from time to time. And it's like, Lord, I'm just ready to not have all the responsibility and, and maybe it, it's just time to, to move to Meeker. And it was more just kind of dreaming in my mind. And, but I'm driving home a Tuesday night and looking over Denver and I felt God's presence and felt God speak to me. And, and what the Lord put on my heart is he's, this is my treasure. His treasure is all these people in Denver. And that's oftentimes not how I see Denver. I don't know if that's how you see Denver, but... <laughs> You know, that, that's how God sees Denver. And as much as at times I want to go recluse in the mountains, God's like, no, this, this is my treasure. People are my treasure. And it just blew me away how much that God loves us, loves me, loves you, that he would give his son to die for us. Have you ever wrestled like, God, what did you see in us that you would give your only begotten son? The son that you love so much that you would give to, to die upon the cross. So the week kind of progressed, and I'm, I'm thinking about this and, and praying through this, and I, I get a phone call from a friend on Thursday night, and the Oregon Ducks were in town to play the Buffs uh, yesterday, and I'm, I'm from Oregon, and his cousin is the chaplain for the football team, and they were needing someone to do Bible study, do chapel on Friday night, and they, they asked me if I would come up and, and do chapel, and I was geeking out. I mean... <laughs> God gave me a desire in my heart that I didn't even know that I had growing up as a big uh, Ducks fan. And so I'm like, let me pray about this. I'm like, yes, I'll come, right? <laughs> so it was an optional chapel for the football players. It was like Friday night at 740, and it was really quick and just got to go and, and share the word with them and, and enjoyed that. And Wyatt went with me on, on that as, as well, and he hadn't been on the light rail. So we decided to go a little bit early and and ride the light rail and, and walk up 16th Street. And it's been a long time since I've been on 16th Street Mall and, and light rail. And again, I'm having this thought of, man, people are God, God's treasure. And as I was spending time with the football players, it was like I was excited to spend time with the football players. But then we were around a lot of homeless on the light rail, a lot of people that were doing drugs. And what God was challenging me with is, yes, the football player is my treasure, but also this person that's strung out on drugs is my treasure. This prostitute is my treasure. This person with disabilities is my treasure. And it really ties in with the text that we're going to see Jesus 
loving Jairus who is named. In a sense, Jairus is kind of the football player, and, and God loves Jairus. But there's also this woman who is unnamed, and God loves her as well. So the light rail was coming out of downtown pretty late, and it was, it was delayed. And as we're riding on the light rail, just in front of us was a gentleman with some disabilities, and he would suck his fingers, and he would, would suck his hands to the point where his front teeth were gone. And whatever was going on in, in his heart and his mind, he, he would just sit there and suck on his hands. And then just next to him was a guy that was so tweaked out on drugs, like maybe to the most that I, I'd ever seen. He was just completely hallucinating, saying things that didn't even make, make sense, seeing things that, that didn't make sense. And then just to my left was a person who was about 20 that was really struggling with, with gender identity. And, and here I was sitting in the midst of that, and I just felt God's heart. And God's saying, man, this is my treasure. These people are my treasure. And I couldn't help but think... If Jesus were here on the planet right now, he'd probably be hanging out at 16th Street Mall. He'd probably be hanging out on the light rail, uh, talking with people and sharing the love of, of Jesus Christ. So as we study the word today, let, let's be reminded that, that God gave his only begotten son. When Jesus was baptized, the father spoke audibly from heaven and said, this is my beloved son and whom I'm well pleased. And yes, he, he loves those that are quote-unquote successful from the world's perspective, but he also loves those that are drug addicts and have totally destroyed their lives and everything in between because the football player and the drug addict need the same savior. Jairus and this unnamed woman need the same savior. So let's pick up in verse 40. So it was when Jesus returned that the multitude welcomed him for they were all waiting for him. If you remember from last week's study, Jesus had crossed the Sea of Galilee to minister to the demoniac. Now he returns and he comes back to Capernaum. And behold, there came a man named Jairus, and he was a ruler of the synagogue. And he fell down at Jesus' feet and begged him to come to his house. For he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. But as he went, but as he went the multitudes thronged him. This takes guts for Jairus to come to Jesus in this way as the ruler of the synagogue. If you're taking notes, write this down, divine desperation. He's desperate for Jesus. He's desperate for God. He's lacking in religion. Religion isn't providing what is necessary at this very difficult moment in his life. He needs something real. He needs Jesus. Why was it risky for Jairus to come to Jesus? Because the scribes and the Pharisees that are the leaders of Judaism are already plotting to kill Jesus. He's risking everything to come to Jesus in this way. And as he comes, people are thronging Jesus. Now, try to put yourself in Jairus's situation. I don't know of any greater pain than parents losing their children. As a pastor, watching moms and dads bury their kids, it's a deep, deep pain. We don't expect it. We expect to bury our parents, but we don't expect to bury our kids. It's his only daughter, and there's something special about dads and daughters, isn't there? Something special about fathers and sons, but man, dads and daughters. Daughters just melt your heart. I've got three daughters and, and one son, 
and my girls, they know it, they can just work me. They just look at me with those eyes and daddy, and it's like, okay, all right, right? And 12 is like the perfect age. I have a 12-year-old daughter uh, right now, and it's just, just such a, a sweet age, and, and cherishing it and enjoying it and loving it so much. And, and here's J. Iris's only daughter, and she's dying. He, he's watching her die. He knows that, that she's passing away. And he says, I'm going to Jesus. I'm, I'm desperate for Jesus. I don't care if I lose my position as being the ruler of the synagogue. I don't care what people, people think. And notice he's begging Jesus. He's humbling himself and saying, Jesus, would you please come to my house? And would you come quickly because my daughter is dying? But it's not going fast. It's not going quickly because of the crowds pressing in against Jesus. Now, a woman having a flow of blood for 12 years who had spent all of her livelihood on physicians and could not be healed by any came from behind and touched the border of his garment and immediately her flow of blood stopped. So we're introduced to an unnamed woman who's been suffering for 12 years. She has a flow of blood. It's not stopping, just continual, continual, continual. She seeks out the physicians and she spends everything she has on medical bills. Sound familiar? I guess medical care has always been extremely expensive. The frustration of this. At first reading, we don't understand how difficult this would be for her because according to the law, with flow of blood, you would be unclean. You couldn't come to the synagogue. You couldn't gather together with family. She's living this life of isolation. So we can pair these two individuals and Jairus is named this Woman is unnamed. It seems like Jairus has had 12 years that have gone fairly well. We don't know for sure, but it appears like his daughter had had good health and something had happened where now her life is in jeopardy. But this woman, she's had 12 years of suffering, 12 years of frustration, 12 years of doctor appointment after doctor appointment, and she also is desperate for Christ. But in this moment, their lives are woven together by the great physician. This woman has the same divine desperation. She has the same need. So Jairus has the need for Christ, but this woman has the need for Christ. The the football player has the need for Christ. The drug addict has the need for Christ. Everything in between has the need for Christ. The common denominator, 12 years. A 12-year-old daughter and suffering for, for 12 years. And notice In her desperation, her faith to come and touch just the edge of Jesus' garment. She's like, if I just am able to touch his garment, she has to push through the crowds, push through this intentionality of Jairus getting Jesus to to his house, and she just sneaks a touch. She, She sneaks a touch of his garment, her faith. In our lives, when we press in in faith to to the Lord, what's the promise if we draw near to God that he'll draw near to us? When we open up his word and trust that he's going to to speak to us, when we draw near to him in prayer, I'm sure for all of us this morning, there's some area of our life that's broken. And for some, what's on your heart is your kids. And you're like, man, I'm desperate for Christ to work in my kids' life. Your kid doesn't know the Lord or has walked away from the Lord and you've tried everything 
And there's no parenting book that's going to, to solve that for you. What do you do? Like Jairus, you get desperate before Jesus and bring your child to the Lord in prayer. It may be your child's health. You may have spent this week in the hospital with, with your child. You're walking through a terminal disease with, with one of your kids and, and your heart is, is absolutely broken. You, you bring that to the Lord. Or you may be like this woman who has had physical suffering for, for 12 years. It's not your kids, but it's some other area of desperation. It's your job, it's a broken relationship, it's depression, it's anxiety, and, and we're holding on to this, this brokenness in our, we to that point where we're desperate enough to bring it to Jesus in faith. If I could just talk to Jesus about this, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, I'm sure there were many others that were facing brokenness this day, but they didn't press in to Christ. But she does. And Jesus said, who touched me? When all denied it, Peter and those with them said, Master, the multitudes throng and press you, and you say, who touched me? Peter almost seems embarrassed. He's like, Jesus, why are you, why are you asking who touched you? There's a huge multitude, and they're all pressing in against you. I'm sure a lot of people bumped into Jesus. But Jesus knows exactly what he's doing. He's calling this woman out in a good way. He's going to give her opportunity to testify what has happened in, in her life. For her encouragement, but also for Jairus. But Jesus said, somebody touched me, for I perceived power going out from me. So this is a bit of a mystery, but this woman touches Jesus, and Jesus, being God, knows exactly her heart and her intent and grants for her to be healing, to be healed, and allows power to go out from him for her to be healed. Verse 47, now the woman saw that she was not hidden. She came trembling and falling down before him. She declared to him in the presence of all the people the reason she had touched him and how she was healed immediately. Second point is divine declaration, to declare of God's working in your life. This woman's at a crossroads. She's at a moment in time where she could have chosen to walk away and not give testimony to what Christ has done. But she chooses to declare, and she declares her condition, her suffering, and she declares how Jesus had healed her immediately, stopped this flow of blood. And it's important for us to declare what God has done in your life. We're encouraged as we give testimony. Revelation 12 tells us that through testimony, it's one of the ways that we overcome the attack of Satan in our lives. But you never know who the Jairus is that's listening. Sometimes you think that you are talking to this person here, but somebody else is listening. A few months ago, back in the spring, went to San Diego to an orphanage in the Baja of Mexico and taught at a school discipleship. And on the flight home, I was with Amber and our two younger kids and we were flying Southwest and we got Buttsville tickets, basically, right? You know what Buttsville tickets are? It's, uh, I didn't check in soon, soon enough, so we were the C group. So you're getting on the plane, and we didn't get to all sit together. So I ended up taking a seat in the front, and 
the family was all dispersed. It's like, man, it would have been nice to sit together with the family. I ended up sitting next to a lady where God opened up an opportunity just to, to share the gospel. And I was like, oh man, that was really neat. And then about a month later, go to our men's retreat. We get together with a few other churches. And a guy from a Calvary in Denver, he says, were you on a flight to, to San Diego about a month ago? I was like, yeah, yeah, I was. And he's like, my boss was sitting to your right and overheard you talking to the lady on your left and was irritated that you were talking about Jesus the whole time, right? <laughs> but he's like, the cool thing was, is before he got on the plane, I was inviting him to church. And his wife was texting him saying, I want to go to church. Then he got on the plane and heard you talking that whole time. And, and so he told his boss, he's like, do you know who you were sitting next to? And he's like, he's a pastor in Colorado Springs, you know. And so God was doing a work in this guy's life to my right. And we said nothing to each other the whole entire flight. I thought it was about this lady to my left, right? The woman with blood for 12 years, she's not aware of Jairus. She doesn't know what Jesus is doing in Jairus' life but she's willing to declare the testimony of the Lord. You never know who's listening. And Jairus needed this encouragement because he's going to get terrible news in verse 48 and 49. But he said to her, daughter, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Jesus speaks blessing upon her. Be of good cheer. Be blessed. Your faith has made you well. While he was still speaking, someone came to the ruler of the synagogue's house saying to him, your daughter is dead, do not trouble the teacher. This is the moment that the lights go out for Jairus. In his perspective, hope perishes. His daughter is dead, the worst news that he could possibly hear. The message comes from his house, hey, you don't need to bother the teacher anymore because your daughter is dead. Jairus in his house felt like there was hope as long as their daughter was alive. Jesus could still heal her. But as soon as the daughter passes away, then that's beyond Jesus' ability to help. I think we do the same thing. We go, here's the difficulty, and if the difficulty is inside of this box, God can help. But if the difficulty is outside of those parameters, it's beyond God's ability to help. That doesn't make any sense, does it? Is it more difficult for Jesus to raise her from the dead than to heal her from the sickness? No. But we can understand Jairus' struggle. She's dead. There's nothing that Jesus can do. We don't need to bother Christ any longer. And the third point this morning is divine delay. And I think it's the most difficult. It's the most difficult. Because Jesus slows things down here. Try to put yourself in Jairus' shoes. I would be very anxious to get Christ to my house to try to help my dying 12-year-old daughter. Already frustrated that there's these multitudes that are slowing things down. Then Jesus is saying, who touched me? And if I'm dad, I'm like, I don't care who touched you right now. Can we deal with this later on? This is, this is urgent. I need you to, to come right now. And we get the edited version here. We get the quick details. But how long did it take for this woman to declare God's work in her life? Took a little bit of time, right? Again, if I'm Jairus, I'm going, couldn't this wait 
like 12 more minutes or even 12 more days. You've been suffering with this for 12 years. My daughter's on her deathbed. Can we move things along? And Jesus just slows things down. He puts this parade on pause. And there's times in our lives where there is that divine delay from our perspective. Have you experienced that God's timing is not our timing? We have this desperation in our lives. We have this brokenness in our lives. We finally bring it to the Lord. And then we're like, Jesus, we need you to do something right now. Like right now, you, you need to work in this situation. And God is working, but it takes time. And oftentimes, it's on a whole different timetable than our time. But as he waits and as he delays, there's a work that Jesus wants to do. Jesus doesn't want to simply just heal her from whatever her sickness is that's causing her death. He wants to do something even greater, and that's raise her from the dead. And in those times of waiting, the instruction that is given to Jairus is very applicable to us as well in verse 50. But when Jesus heard it, he answered him saying, do not be afraid, only believe, and she will be made well. This is difficult, isn't it? Fear and faith. Don't be afraid, only believe. The natural thing would be for Jairus to be afraid. My daughter's dead. What in the world are we going to do? How are we going to get, get through this? Absolute brokenness. And fear brings in torment. And Jesus can see the fear that's coming upon Jairus. Jairus, don't be afraid. I want you to believe. I want you to, to trust. What would it be like for Jairus to be the ruler of the synagogue? I mean, he's got religion down. But does he have faith down? He knows what it is to go to church and to take care of the house of God. But does he have a vibrant relationship with the Lord? Now he's being asked to trust Jesus, to put his faith in, in Jesus. It's one thing to go to church every Sunday. It's another, one thing to go through the motions of religion. It's another thing to be in relationship with Jesus and, and to trust him. And faith is the answer to fear. In your desperation, in your difficulty that you're facing with, are you trusting the Lord? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he'll make your path straight. The challenge is all of our heart. God, I'm trusting you. I'm trusting your faithfulness in the midst of this. When he came into the house, he permitted no one to go in except Peter, James, and John, and the mother, and the father, and the mother of the girl. There's times in Christ's ministry where he will choose Peter, James, and John to come with him and be involved in a greater way. And we wonder why. Why did God choose Peter, James, and John? I don't know necessarily that they were more qualified. I think these guys were the three troublemakers. You know, Peter's always saying the wrong thing at the wrong time. James and John are wanting to call down God's judgment. Like, can we just torch this whole village? And Jesus is like, no, you guys don't get it, right? So like, I got to keep an eye on you guys. I got to keep an eye on Peter, James, and John. They're in the house, the father and the mother in the house. Now all wept and mourned for her, but he said, do not weep. She is not dead, but is sleeping. She is indeed dead, but Jesus is referring to the fact that he's going to raise her from the dead. And they ridiculed him knowing that she was dead. 
But he put them all outside, took her by the hand, and called, saying, little girl, arise. This is our fourth point, and we see divine display. Where God shows his power over the grave, Jesus is going to raise her from the dead. Jairus and his wife, as they enter into this room, they're seeing their lifeless daughter. Their little girl who they welcomed into the world, where they watched her first steps, as they observed her riding her bike, whatever that looked like at that time, learning to talk, learning all of these things in life, and now she's 12 years old. What do you think about when you have a 12-year-old? You think about their future. You think about, man, what is their life going to be like? Are they going to get married? Are they going to have kids? What are they going to do for, for a job? And, and the time that you're going to have with them as is, is they enter into adulthood. You think about them getting their driver's license. And a few years from now, I'm going to have to teach you how to drive. And you're going to have to get your permit. And they had all of this hope for the future. But here's their daughter who's lifeless. And Jesus grabs her by the hand, and with tenderness says, little girl, arise. Then her spirit returned, and she arose immediately, and he commanded that she should be given something to eat. (laughs) What would this have been like, to see her be dead, to see her be lifeless? And he speaks these words, little girl, arise, and immediately she comes back to life. And Jesus like, you better feed her. She's 12 years old. She's growing. She's hungry, right? They're probably looking at her like, did this really happen? And Jesus is like, yep, this really happened. Let's do the food test, right? She's alive. She can eat. She's fine. Get her some Doritos or a falafel or something, right? And this is a foreshadowing. This is a, a picture of Christ's power over the grave. Similar with Lazarus, where Jesus spoke, Lazarus, come forth, and boom, Lazarus comes Back to life after being dead for for three days. Everyone's so astonished. Jesus is like, are you going to get his grave clothes off of him? Are you going to just leave him wrapped up like a, a mummy? Christ rose from the dead. And as he's risen from the dead, 1 Corinthians 15, the Bible tells us that death is defeated. Death, where is, is your sting? So for us as believers, we have absolute confidence and expectation that death doesn't have the final word. That when we die, our last breath here on earth is followed by our first breath in heaven. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. As we have loved ones who are in Christ, maybe you have buried a child or a spouse or a mom or a dad or a close friend. If they're in Christ, we have absolute confidence that the grave doesn't have the final word. That Jesus has conquered the grave. If you don't know Christ as your savior, you're probably terrified of death. As a culture, we're, we're terrified of death. We, we try to prolong this life as long as we possibly can. But as believers, we don't have to fear death. We're gonna be with the Lord. We're gonna forever be with the Lord. Jesus has conquered the grave. In verse 56, and the parents were astonished, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. I think this is a colossal understatement. The parents were astonished. Jesus probably had to get their jaws off of the floor. You know what I'm saying? Like they're, they're completely blown away. And why would Jesus tell them to not tell anyone? It seems like it's already 
a difficult environment for Jesus to be able to minister. It's a circus type of environment. Everywhere he goes, people are thronging upon him. And Jesus says, this is not the time for you to be able to declare this. That would have been difficult. Here we've been given an instruction to go and tell, and we found that difficult. And I'm sure this instruction for them to be silent at this time was difficult. So how do we apply this text this morning? First is, so the desperation that we have in our lives. Maybe you're like Jairus, and your life is pretty put together. In a sense, you're kind of a ruler of the synagogue, and maybe you have leadership, and, but yet there's something that you can't solve in your life. There's a need that you can't fix in your life, and it's humbling to you. Will you bring it to Jesus? Will you come to him and say, Jesus, would, would you help me with this? God blesses humility. He resists the proud. Jairus shows humility. Maybe like Jairus, you're risking your reputation. What if at work, you're all of a sudden, you're found out to be a Jesus follower? What if in your family, word gets out that, that you went to Jesus? Who cares? Bring your desperation to him. Maybe you're like this woman who's been suffering for some time. Your desperation has been over years. Would you bring it to the Lord? What made her decide this day that she was going to press through the crowd, that she was going to touch the hem of Jesus' garment? Press through and, Lord, I'm bringing this, this desperation to you. And as we do that, then trust God's timing. Because God may, from our perspective, delay. And as there's this period of waiting, it can be easy to think, well, God, you don't care, or God, you didn't hear, or why did you let my daughter die? The whole reason that I came to you was that you'd heal her before you would die. This is not the outcome that, that I wanted. And to hear those instructions to not be afraid, but to believe. But I don't want us to stop there this morning, because I think that this is where I tend to stop. It's like, oh, this is so great. I want to bring my desperation to Jesus. And yes, that's true. But as we bring our desperation to Jesus, God wants us to declare that testimony for Jairus' sake. Because Jesus wants to do a work in other people's lives as well. If Jesus has met you in your desperation, go share that with somebody. Because God's treasure is people. That's what he really loves no matter what their circumstance is, however their sin looks and whatever they're, they're struggling with. God loves Colorado Springs. He loves Denver. He loves the Front Range. He loves the United States. He loves the world. He wants people to know his son. He has created us. He sent his son to die for us. And we get to go and share with people what we've found. Hey, Jesus has met me in my desperation. Jesus has rescued me from my sin. I can't solve the desperation that you're in, but from my experience, I would encourage you to bring that desperation to Christ and allow God to do a work in and through people's lives. We're trying to sort out these times that we're living in. There's challenges politically, there's challenges economically, there seems to be more confusion than answers. But you know what God's up to in this time? Is he's saving people. He's bringing people out of darkness and into light. 
That's his plan. That's his agenda. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. We see that with Jairus. We see that with this woman who was bleeding with 12 years. We see it in our lives. Say, okay, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to share your message, your message of hope and your message of love to those that don't know you. Let's stand together and let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you care about the brokenness and the desperation in our lives. And we're going to go somewhere with our our desperation. And right now, we want to bring it to you. What is it in your life that's broken? Right now, in your heart, just just bring it to Christ. Like J. Iris, like this woman with the bleeding for 12 years. Let's wait upon the Lord for a few minutes and just talk with him right now. Father, I pray for those that are in a season of waiting, a season of delay. And they're in crisis. And like, Jesus, where are you at? Why didn't you come through sooner? Why did you slow things down instead of speeding things up? And Jesus, would, would you meet with them in a special way? Would you comfort them? Would you speak to them the way that you spoke to Jairus? Through your Holy Spirit, through your word. And as believers, we stand in great hope because you, Jesus, died and you rose again. You've conquered the grave. For those in Christ who have gone before us, we know that they're with you. We look forward to being with you. We look forward to the glorified bodies that we're going to receive. Would you fill us up to go out into our community? Would you help us to, to see people the way you see them, that they're your treasure? Would you give us opportunities to share your love, share your truth? So we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.